Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. And the 10th Bible. 
Lord or the love you showed for him in the help you gave and are still giving to your fellow Christians. Let me read it again. God is not unfair. He will not forget the work you did or the love you showed for him in the help you gave and are still giving to your fellow Christians. You might wonder, rather, I jumped all the way down to that verse and left out a tremendous subject in the interceding verses. And the reason I did is I've already preached on that some weeks back. As a matter of fact, I preached two sermons in between the one I did this morning and the one we're going to do this evening. One of them came from the fourth through the seventh verses there, dealing with the possibility of, as to whether one loses his salvation or not. And then I remember preaching one not so long ago from the ninth verse, and I had it the title that is in the King James, The Things That Accompany Salvation. I don't know if any of you remember that sermon or not. But I, Diane, you honestly? You do. Oh, well, you're cheating a little there. All right. I did actually preach on that subject. And I deliberated a lot as to what I ought to do about jumping over some very important verses there, but realizing that I'd already spoken from them, perhaps it would not be advisable to do it again, at least at this time. But I've got to go to the eighth verse. I just can't leave this without going to the eighth verse. When he says, That which bringeth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Ooh, that's a toughie. But in order to understand what we're talking about, or he's talking about in this particular verse, we've got to review just a little bit, verses 4 through 7 there, which was the subject of the previous sermon, the problem of people falling away from the faith, falling away as to whether they're saved or not. Now you know by now, without any doubt at all, that I have believed strongly that the Scripture teaches that once you're saved, you're always saved. Everybody in this congregation, I don't know about tonight, but everybody who comes to this church does not buy that. And you know that as well. But everybody doesn't buy that statement. But once you're saved, you're saved. And their reason, and I'm going to deal with their reasoning tonight a little bit, and there's some justification in some of the things that those people say. And I do not want to put them down at all. Who would say... Uh, that there's no way to know that if you're saved because they refer to the, the life a person lives and says, if that person is saved, then I'll eat my hat or some other phrase. Based upon the evidence presented by the way a person lives. And listen, there's good theology in that statement. Because the faith that saves a person is going to produce something. And if there is no production, Except, as verse 8 says, thorns and thistles, there's a good chance that that person is not saved in spite of anything he says. 
Now that's pretty tough too, I guess. But that's what the scripture has to say. If we are saved, there's going to be some evidence in our life that indicates that. And it ought to be obvious when we see each other to know whether or not we have something that we call salvation. So what I'm saying tonight is maybe we need to rethink our salvation and be absolutely sure, absolutely sure, in our mind and heart that we indeed are saved. Or have we just simply gone through the motions, as I spoke of this morning, gone through the motions of ceremony, so to speak. We've come in front of the church, we've gone through the waters of baptism, we've stood up here and everybody has shaken, uh, shook our hand, has shaken. Oh, well, forget the English. Uh, you know the point. Uh, and, and everyone has welcomed us into the church, and all of this rigmarole is supposed to indicate that we're saved. Listen, it means nothing. Unless we have had a good dose of salvation by God through Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, and it was applied to our hearts. All of this other stuff is nonsense. And those who talk about the, the lack of assurance uh, have a good point if they can look at us, the church, those who, quote, are saved, and can see no evidence in us. Now, what I'm saying is that the Scripture teaches that if, in fact, you did get a baptism of the Holy Spirit, brother, you still got it. The question is, did you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Or did you just get wet? Or as a good old preacher friend of mine who's long gone now would say, you just went under the water, a dry duck came out a wet one, and that's all the difference it made. We've got to be sure that what happened in our heart was real and genuine. And if it was real and genuine, then we're going to find ourselves producing something besides the thorns and the briars. And the scripture says that the thorns and briars are rejected and is well nigh unto cursing. God is on the verge of condemning people who produce briars and thorns. Can you see that in that verse? He's just holding back saying it. It's like a father who wants to bless out his son and bites his tongue to keep from really saying what he wants to say. He's holding back. But you're nigh on to being cursed if our lives, if our lives are producing nothing but briars and thistles, we're nigh on to receiving a curse from God. That's what that verse is saying.
I made a note while the choir was singing. On, my, on the top of my notes, that they reminded me on one of the numbers, I've forgotten which one now, on the note that I wrote is, we should work at our salvation as if our salvation depended upon our works. Now let me restate it so that you don't misunderstand. We should work at our salvation as if our salvation depended upon our works. Now our salvation does not depend upon our works. That's what we said this morning. Our salvation is dependent upon Jesus Christ. God did something for us and gave us salvation. But now that we have it, we ought to be working for the Lord as if it was necessary for us to earn our right in the heaven, which it is not, but as if it were. That's the kind of work that ought to be coming out of a Christian. That's the kind of life we ought to be living, as if it were dependent upon what we do in order for us to be saved. Jesus was sitting around the table at the Last Supper with his disciples. They were eating. And out of the blue, the Lord dropped a bombshell. He said, one of you will betray me. Not a one of them knew who it was. And I think the scripture really indicates that to the man, every one of them turned and said, Lord, is it I? I remember when I was in school, a teacher standing before the class that I was in and saying, one of you cheated. Let me tell you, I was so guilty. I was afraid that she meant me. I didn't think I cheated. But I didn't know she didn't. She knew that I didn't. And I felt guilty. Have you ever been that way? Somebody is making a blanket accusation, and I felt as guilty as if I had done it. And my face turned red, and I was ashamed. Until finally the culprit was revealed, and it wasn't me, and I was so glad. What is the Lord saying? Don't be so sure that you won't deny me. Peter said, I'll never deny you. I'll go wherever you go. I'll uphold you. I'll support you. All the way he bragged about his relationship to his Lord. And then when the chips were down, when the chips were really down, and somebody said, you're one of his disciples, are you not? Peter stood there and said, I don't know the man. I read in one of the books that I just recently purchased this little story. In North, uh, in South Vietnam, come out of the Vietnam stories. But a group of four, three men. 
because their little group that had been ten had been discovered, and the North Vietnamese came and took six of them away and executed them, and only left four. So the three men and the one woman were meeting in secret around a little fire out in the forest, and were whispering as they read the Bible. They would read verses from the scripture and pray and do it silently, and suddenly they looked up and they were surrounded with soldiers with the guns pointed at them. The leader of that group came forward and demanded to know what they were doing. What were you reading? He asked the leader of the group, and the leader said, we're reading the Bible, God's Word. He said, do you believe that? And the leader said, yes, I believe it with all my heart. The soldier said, well, let's just take out your heart and see if we can find that belief. He said, I order you to throw that book into the fire. If you don't, I'm going to kill you on the spot. Pull back the trigger with it against the man's chest. And the man, shaking in his boots, took his Bible fire. He said, now I'm ordering you to spit on God. Say it. I spit on God. The man said, I spit on God. He said, say I spit on Jesus Christ. With the gun barrel against his chest, the man said, I spit on Jesus Christ. Say I spit on the Bible. I spit on the Bible and he went to the next one and the next one. They complied. Then he came to the girl. He asked the girl if she believed in Jesus Christ. And she said, yes, indeed I do. He said, with the gun against her chest, you take your Bible and you throw it in fire like your leaders did. She said, no, I will not. He said, I'll kill you here and now if you do not do what I order you to do and put your Bible in the fire. So I will not. Pull back the trigger. She stood there with her eyes closed. She heard a click. She opened her eyes. The leader of the soldier said, the gun wasn't loaded. This is the only one is really a Christian. She was willing to die for what she believed. You other men are Christian. You wouldn't die for it. And he ordered his soldiers to take those three men and shoot them. And he let the girl go. In Russia, a group of Christians were meeting in their church and the doors burst open and the Russian soldiers came in with their guns and pointed at the congregation and said to them, all of you, put your hands in the air. All their hands went up. And the soldiers said to the group, now any of you who will renounce Jesus Christ is free to leave. Two or three left. And he repeated the, uh, the statement again, I say to you, those of you who will renounce Jesus Christ are free to go. Two or three more left. 
That's the kind of salvation we ought to have. Peter said, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. Be diligent in the way we serve the Lord. And what will happen if we are? Then verse 10 becomes the focal point when he says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work. God will remember when we're faithful. There are some things that always go together, like bread and butter. I suppose many, many other things that we can name. Listen, there are two things that go together. Salvation works. If we're saved, we will see the results in what we do and how we live. We will find ourselves renouncing sin and supporting the Scriptures, refusing to deny our faith in God proclaiming our faith in Jesus Christ even though it might mean our death. You know what I've been, I never do it, I know, but I, I, I'd like to do it sometime. I'd like to have a group of men with guns burst in the church door and make us all stand with our hands in the air and say, now those of announce Jesus Christ and leave. The rest of you will be shot. And see how many people would leave. God will not forget our work, our labor of love. Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, I was sick and in prison when you visited me, naked and you clothed me, hungry and you fed me, and on and on. You remember the, the episode? They also said, I was in prison and you did not minister unto me. I was sick and you did not tend to me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Hungry and you did not feed me. And they all answered, Lord, when did we see you like this? When were you hungry and we didn't feed you? When were you naked and we didn't take care of you? When were you in prison and we didn't visit you? And the Lord answered, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brothers, you've done it to me. Where is our labor? Where is our love for Jesus Christ? Except in the work that we do amongst ourselves for each other. There's where our labor of love is, and God will not forget that labor of love. First John 5, 1 says, Whosoever loveth him that begat, loveth him that is begotten of him. Let's put it in simpler terms. Whoever loves God loves me. Whoever loves God loves you. You don't love me. You don't love God. I don't love you. I don't love God. For my life is revealed in what I do and say and what I am in 
relationship to my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And the failure on that level is failure with God and results in nothing but briars and brambles and thistles. And when we are warm-hearted and generous and good and reach out to those around us, then and only then do we demonstrate how we love God by how we love each other. And God will reward us for our faithfulness. Let me conclude down in the 19th verse and the 20th. Two of the most beautiful verses, I think, in the Scripture, particularly verse 19, that we go over so much. He's talking about hope, eternity, security, and so on. We've left out so much in verses 12 down through there when it talks about uh, Abraham and his faithfulness and how we ought to follow people that are so faithful. But let's, let's, let's go on because of time down to verse 19. When he says, we have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Now that's just a little bit confusing until we understand what we're talking about. Let's, let's uh, get rid of the confusion first and then we'll talk about the anchor of the soul. That which entereth into that within the veil. Now that's sort of confusing. But if you will remember, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I give, gave you a description of the tremendous veil that was hanging across the temple that separated where the people were from where supposedly God was, from the holy place out here to the holy of holies behind the, the veil. And there's where the high priest went once a year to sacrifice for the sins of the people. That was a very holy and a very reverent place, and nobody went into presence of God, except the high priest after extreme preparation uh, to, to go in there, and then he went in there very fearful that he might not be accepted to, uh, to God. All right. He is talking here in this verse, the reason we have an anchor of the soul is that somebody entered into that veil, through the veil, into the presence of God, and it's not a man. It's Jesus Christ. That which entered through that veil was Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross of Calvary, he went into the presence of God. And because of Jesus Christ, we have an anchor for our soul. We are tied to something, secured in something. The trouble with so many, many people, and this is true of unsaved people most especially, is that they don't have anything to hold on to. And a few of you in recent weeks have made that description and understand well. Life seems to be a, a nothing but a hodgepodge. Uh, uh, it is a mess. Uncertainty, insecurity, not knowing what to do next, where to go next. But listen, when Jesus Christ comes into a person's life, it begins to put security there. Things begin to firm up. We have something to hold on to. We can grasp something. It's like we were out in the ocean and drifting, and we can throw out our anchor, and we are secure because it grabs hold. What is the anchor of our life? The anchor 
of our soul. It is nothing other than Jesus Christ. There's the anchor. Why do we have an anchor? Because he is in God and he has given us the assurance that when we have accepted him, we have something that is absolutely secure. We have an anchor of the soul. If you ever get discouraged, down, you don't know what's going to happen, you can think in terms of having an anchor. Let me read you a hymn. It's called We Have an Anchor, and it's based upon this very scripture. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the storm tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? And then the refrain of it is, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's life. Tell you why I know I'm saved. Because I sank my anchor deep in Jesus Christ. Or rather, I should say it another way, he sank himself into me. It makes me secure and firm. Verse 20, just the one word forerunner. Jesus is the forerunner, the one who goes before and prepares the way. You remember how John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ? He came to prepare the way for Jesus. You know, it's interesting that this verse of Scripture says that Jesus is the forerunner for you and me. He went to prepare the way. He went behind the veil so that we could go behind the veil. A forerunner is one who is in front, and there are people then who follow. You see, in the Old Testament days, and he's speaking to the Jews here so they understood it, the Old Testament days, you didn't get behind that veil. Nobody went back there. And that represents the presence of God. Listen, we have access to the presence of God. We can go directly to God because Jesus went in front of us and prepared the way. And you see that? What a tremendous thing it is to know that we're not plowing new ground. We're not walking in a path of uncertainty. We're walking a path that has already been trod upon. Jesus has already walked there. He's already parted the waves of the Dead Sea and, and the, the Hebrew people walked across, or the, the Red Sea, I should say. He has already uh, taken care of the things that are going to affect us. We don't go out here to fight battles on our own. The Lord Jesus Christ is already ahead of us. He knows what our needs are, what our problems are, and he's smoothing out the path. He's our forerunner. We just let him be that. He's ahead of us. It's the person who does not want to follow Jesus that gets himself in trouble. The person who follows Christ can walk a path knowing that there is no doubts about the outcome because we are anchored well in Jesus Christ who prepared the way for us. Okay. I suppose that's 
another topic. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's important. Tremendously important for us to understand. God is there, ready and willing to give us a blessing when we're faithful to him, and our life is revealed in the way we treat each other. That's where it is. You want to serve Jesus Christ, serve your fellow man. for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.com podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.